We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As you guys may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right, you simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time! Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scores. Nathan McKinnon. Call JT Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast with Nathan Rudolph and AJ Hayfley. We are presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. You can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. The Avs, unfortunately, for the first time this season, came up short, falling 3-2 to the Pittsburgh Penguins in overtime at the first DNVR watch party of the season, as you can probably tell from my voice. I'm going to do the best I can to get through this podcast, but AJ, you might have to do some of the heavy lifting here. It's a bit of a slow game, if I'm being honest. AJ, what did you see? I think I think a slow game uh, is a pretty good way to put it. Honestly, that the first two periods, it was obvious Colorado's transition game had no legs tonight, uh, and it just was not. They they did they did not get anything going, uh, and then even in the third period, when you felt like uh, they had really kind of taken control of the game, obviously the game tying goal early in the period, um, you know, just a couple of minutes in, and then after that. It it felt it felt like the game opened up a little bit and it was two boxers that were understanding that they were probably gonna go to the bell, but they were gonna they were gonna keep feeling each other out and start to actually uh take some punches. And you know, I thought it was it was interesting. It was an interesting style matchup because 
Uh, Pittsburgh wanted to do a lot of what Arizona was successful doing last weekend, but I think that the Avs had a lot more to do with Pittsburgh's success tonight than they did against Arizona. Whereas against Arizona, I thought the Coyotes played really well. Against the Pens, I just felt like the Avs were not playing well. Uh, and that they, their, their legs weren't moving. They weren't getting pucks very deep. They weren't attacking on the forecheck. All the little things that we've kind of seen them embrace as their identity through the first few weeks of preseason and regular season, none of that existed tonight. It was, it was a very loose game systems-wise uh, from Colorado's end. And it was a pretty ineffective game through the first two periods. Yeah, I... I definitely do feel like the Avs let themselves get smothered a bit. It is what it is. There was a lot of slowness, maybe a little bit inconsistency in their passing, particularly on the breakout throughout the game. And some of that was Pittsburgh pressuring them and things like that. But things just were not clicking through all the way. And then you get into the offensive zone, they get power plays and you, and you just feel like everything is too stagnant. They weren't forcing the issue until that third period and they managed to tie it up. They managed to get a point out of the game, but they never really took it by the throat. Yeah. They definitely weren't really the team that ever drove the bus tonight. They, they, it was a team full of passengers, honestly. And uh, they needed their best players to to make a play for them. They did that, and because of that, they were able to steal a point, and sometimes that's the NHL. Yeah, I mean, look, let's get into it. McKinnon straight up got them the point by getting the game-tying goal off of a nice pass from Rantanen as well. It's still, even when McKinnon comes through like that, feels like there's just more there than what we've seen so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, especially from McKinnon, he hasn't dominated a game yet. He hasn't gone out there and just housed a team yet. And we've talked about it. They opened their schedule against a tough slate. And the, the worst team on Colorado's schedule is arguably their biggest rival. So that game has a different punch to it than it otherwise would for other teams. Uh, and we just have not seen McKinnon really just take over a game. There have been flashes. He's got nine points through six games. The production has been there. He scored in every game. Ranton in has scored in every game. That line has, as a whole, has dominated some games. You know, we saw Ranton in game one of the season, destroyed. Uh, but tonight, easily the worst night from the top line. And one of the more encouraging things that you see from McKinnon because when we when we talk about McKinnon and kind of the the rise of the attitude you know or the batitude if you will you know the we talked about it a couple <laughs> weeks ago the superstars bargain yep how you have to kind of live with some of the pouting and some of the laziness and all that you know some of the things that little things body language things that drive you crazy just as an observer uh, and and when you see it from your best player, but then you have a night like tonight that reminds you that this dude means business. This is a very competitive dude. He's not out there floating around. He's not out there just, you know, all right, I'm going through the motions. He took a big hit tonight. He was in a lot of pain all game. You know that, that, that Charlie horses are 
painful. And they are that thing is going to stiffen up while he's on the plane tonight. It is not going to feel good tomorrow. I'd be willing to bet he does not skate. He doesn't do anything tomorrow uh, except put ice on it and hope that that thing starts to feel better for Friday because it's going to be a it's going to be a tough night for him to sleep tonight. He uh, he's not going to be feeling very good, but he gutted it out and came up with the play when his team absolutely needed it, and that's. That's the that's the other half of the superstar's bargain, right? You get the superstar. Yep. When you need that goal, the difference between one point and none in this game is absolutely Nathan McKinnon. Granted, Ranton, fantastic sauce pass there, but McKinnon's finish on that was just absolute filth. Right. And like it's a nice play from Rantanen, but that's a that's a play you expect a player of Rantanen's caliber to make nine times out of ten. Yeah, for sure. And it was the exact play Landeskog failed to make in overtime. Yep. Yeah, that that overtime was was weird. This is almost certainly in my head that I'm sure it's recency bias, but the abs and overtime power plays are not friends. Yeah, I uh, wrote about it tonight. Uh, the... <sighs> I, I was in St. Louis last year when they lost on the O'Reilly breakaway and uh, Bednar was as angry as I've ever seen him. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously tonight, you know, that was a little different because at least Grubauer got beat that night. Tonight, right. it was your own team putting it in your net, yeah. And that's, that's one where you're just like, you know, that guy's had a terrible night. Uh, everything is going wrong for him, and really, it's either going—it's going to go one of two ways for for Bedner putting uh, Landeskog out in that situation. Either it's going to continue to be a terrible night, which is exactly what happened, or it's going to be a cool redemption story where we're talking about oh, Landeskog had been horrible all night long, and then when they absolutely needed it, he came up huge, and that's why he's the captain. You know, those are the only two stories that we end up writing tonight uh, with with throwing Landeskog out there. The other story would have been not playing him and Bednar just benching him entirely in, in overtime and being like, look, dude, you botched that two on one. You've been really bad tonight. I'm just it's not your night. We're calling it a night for you. He did not do that. Uh, Landeskog has earned that trust over the years. It's hard to it's hard to argue with the decision. It really is. The guys come up so big for you so many times in so many situations for so many years that at some point you just a, a night like tonight, it's, it's the one night that this maybe happens. Maybe two of them happen in a season and he gives you a 15 that go the other way, 10 that go the other way. And you just live with it. And I think that's where we are tonight. You're just going to have to live with it. Yeah. I mean, Let's be real. No one legitimately thought this team was going 82-0. and It, it was going to happen sooner or later. The fact that the Yavs even squeaked at a point, given how rough around the edges this game was, you got to take that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, getting to overtime, you always, you always lament the lack of finish once you get there and you put yourself in that space, but... Had you had you said at the start of the third period, hey, you're going to go into overtime. It's not going to go your way. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Just know that you will lose in overtime tonight. You would have said, I'll take that over a loss. Yep. Every single time you yep. will take it. And 
that's where the Avs ended up. We'll go ahead and call segment one there. We'll come back, probably talk a little bit more about that overtime and some of the not as superstar players on the Avs. But first, it's time to acknowledge the official beer of DNVR in Breckenridge Brewery. I had a few myself tonight over at the Ice House Tavern at our watch party, which was a fantastic time. The place was hyped. And, and can I just say I love how much this city is getting behind the abs right now. The place was just awesome to be at. And all the chants and all the cheering, as you can clearly tell from my voice, there was a lot of that going on. And it was an awesome time. Had a handful of Breck brews, whether it was their vanilla porter or their avalanche amber ale. Enjoyed all of them. Even if those aren't for you, you can get the Strawberry Sky or the Colorado Core or any other number of beers that they have. They have one that you will like. I pretty much guarantee it. So keep an eye out for Breckenridge beers at your local liquor store. Or if you missed tonight, we will have more watch parties in the future. Keep an eye on the Breckenridge event calendar over on thednvr.com. We plan all of our events there. You can RSVP, let us know you're coming. We will be drinking Breck brews at every single one of these things. If they're all like this one, Obviously, you want the game to go the other way, but the atmosphere was just awesome, and I love the whole thing. I highly recommend it. Come out, RSVP, have a good time with us. Second segment of the DNVR Avalanche podcast with Rudo and AJ. We've talked about McKinnon. We've talked about Landeskog's struggles. Let's first go to Grubauer because, let's be real, Grubauer kept them in this game. I think maybe of all the performances up to this point, individual performances uh, across the entire team, not just goaltending. Sure. Um, but I think Grubauer tonight. Yes. Might have been the strongest like solo act that we've seen so far this year. I'm with you. He was, he was with the bucket at the bottom of the boat, bailing him out constantly. <laughs> he, he was so calm. And I think that's when he's absolutely at his best. You're seeing an economy of motion. Uh, you're seeing a guy that just reads the play at a very, very high level and makes it look easy. And there were a couple of really tough saves that he made. He, I mean, he almost made a, the stop on the Crosby goal. Yep. I mean, he got all the way across, read that thing all the way. I mean, the only guy that maybe stops that is is Ben Bishop. Just because and, he's and large? That's just because he's 6'7 and has legs that, you know, are trees, basically. So, he, I mean, he was so good tonight. He was just impressive. And in no way an adventure, and you weren't feeling like... You weren't feeling like Pittsburgh was, was just unlucky. You were feeling like this guy's just shutting these dudes down. The two goals that he gives up in regulation, can't fault him for any of that. The overtime goal, what are you going to say? That's not even a shot on goal. If Landis right. Cog's not standing there, that's not even a shot on goal. Well wide if it doesn't hit Landy, yep. So of all the, the things that have, you know, Colorado's kind of gotten through, they've gotten really lucky in some games. You know, two goals called back against Boston. Uh, the the called back goal that would have made it 5-4 against Washington. Um, you know, the uh, the high stick goal against Calgary, Landis Gog in the neutral zone. 
they've been on the right end of some really big breaks. But they've also finished. Yep. And tonight was the first time that one of those big breaks didn't really bail them out mm-hmm. in, in, in a big situation, and it was on them. And they did fine. I mean, they walked into a, the third period for the first time, down a goal, tied it up three minutes in, and then played a very solid third period from then on. And then honestly had a, I mean, they were, they were good in overtime until the power play. They were good. They've been, they've been totally different in power in, in, in overtime, both of the times that they've been there at even strength, obviously winning it against Arizona. And then until the power play tonight, I mean, what are you going to, what's your complaint? They didn't, they didn't really give anything up. They didn't, they didn't, uh, there wasn't any of that classic, like, Oh no, I don't understand how to play three on three. I just threw this puck back <laughs> to the center of the ice and created a three on one, one break for them. You know, there was no shooting of themselves in the foot. They valued the puck in a way they didn't do last year. Their actual three V three play looks light years better than it did at any point last season. And then they go on the power play and they look like they haven't practiced a four on three power play one single time. Straight up. That thing was, was not pretty. It, I mean, it, it was, there was no energy. There was no puck movement. It looked like every single guy on the ice was asking, was, was looking for somebody else to make the play to win the game. None of them wanted to shoot it. None of them wanted to step up. None of them wanted to try and beat a guy. Everybody played with fear in their stick. And that, and, and that I think was the difference in that game is that they played an aggressive PK they got after it. They said, oh, this is overtime. We're not just going to clear the puck and give it right back to you. And that's what it looked like Colorado's players were expecting. They lost control. They didn't fight for it. They looked like they were just, a, oh, they're just going to clear it. and We'll get it back and we'll try again. No. Get your ass on that puck. Work for it. You're in overtime. You're playing for keeps. These are points you don't get back. No. And they just stood around. All of them just stood around. And just let it happen. Oh, well, well, life's hard. Well, we tried. But, you know, they got the puck now. What are we going to do? No. For the birds. F that. Not about that life at all. No. I could not have been all the good things that we have seen from them this year. I could not be more disappointed in how they acted and how they treated that power play. Is it a mentality thing or is it more of a just they're kind of lost in that situation? They shouldn't be lost. I mean, straight up, like you're right. Obviously, they haven't practiced it a lot and it's a very specific situation that is not that. I mean, they might go all season and that's that situation may not come up again. You know, on the power play in overtime, they may not do that again all year. And if they do, it probably doesn't happen more than two or three times. At like the absolute most, right? Like they are probably not going to be in that spot again very many times. At the same time, you have to understand. You have to understand the situation. And I think that that was the frustration last year with their overtime failures was they played dumb hockey. They played uninspired, lazy, just self-defeating hockey. And then... They were really, as I mentioned before, I thought they were really solid and they treated 3v3 properly. 
And then they got on the power play and it all went out the window. All energy was gone. All, all um, puck movement, everything just died on everybody's stick. There was, there was, there was nobody that played, you know, with that, that lion inside of them. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was one of those guys that was stepping up and, and, and separating himself and looking like, God, I just want to be the guy. They all looked like they were afraid to make the big play. And it was frustrating, honestly. We we haven't seen a lot of a lot of that out of them this year. And it just didn't it and and it's not I'm not gonna draw any like big conclusions off of it. I, I thought they were lethargic emotionally at the start of the game. Through two periods, they looked like they were just going through the motions. And for them to have gotten a point out of that situation, hey, I'll take it. But knowing how that sausage got made, it you can't help but be just a touch disappointed by it. There were some good things. I thought Burkowski had some good moments working hard. I thought there were other players that, that played solidly. But for the most part, the top six, honestly, not just that four on three, but the game as a whole, you're waiting for them to kick it into that next gear. McKinnon got that nice goal. They looked solid in the third period, but it never felt like that really it's time to take over the game moment. Yeah, they don't. It's I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm concerned about it. But you're starting to wonder, Okay, you're now six games in. And they haven't like put that performance together yet. Now, again, like I've said this previously, teams that peak in October don't go deep into the playoffs. So you're not looking for them to be like maximum awesome all the time. You know, we saw that from Tampa Bay for four months last year, and you just can't continue that. It's too hard. The league is too good. And there's plenty of solace to take in the fact that you could continue to win games and that you as a team you know, have have the standing points that you do, that you're, you have 11 points out of 12 possible, and you feel like you haven't even, like, played a great game yet. But you want to play a great game at some point, man. And national TV against a, against a, a team that everybody feels is a Stanley Cup contender and... One that was vulnerable with a lot of injuries, missing a lot of key players too. Even if they are playing well, despite that, you, I mean, the talent. It, there was there was a lot to be disappointed about tonight, other than just the result. But the fact that they still got a point in that situation might be the most encouraging thing out of the entire night. Yeah, I. That is not a game the Avs get a point in last year, certainly. I think that's a game where everything falls apart around them immediately. Well, and emotionally, they seem so different this year. They they seem to understand that the third period is where the magic happens. You try and build leads in the first and second periods. You try to, you know, you try and do everything, but the third period is really where it's at. You you want to build a lead in the first two periods, and then the third period is all about locking it down and finishing. If you're tied or you're behind, you still have work to do. 
but you got there. And the third period is all about finishing. And they seem to be going in with that mindset. Their third periods feel to me in any way, they have consistently felt like their better periods in most of their games this season. Um, Certainly, you know, the four goals in nine minutes in Washington is, you know, that's will be one of their better stretches that they have all season. Um, But, you know, they each, each of the third periods kind of has taken on this, a very similar personality, which is the Avs came to play, you know, they were tied nothing, nothing with Arizona and they, they go out and they, they put two up on the board and then, and they give the, the two back. And instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they go out and win the damn game. You know, it's, it's just a different team emotionally right now. Uh, where I think that they're approaching the third period in a very mature way. And given that they are still as young as they are, honestly, that's just scary for everybody else. Yeah. I mean, straight up, the amount of growth potential that this team still has, it feels like you and I should be sitting here saying, this loss is no big deal, and it isn't. But it feels like they could win on this game. They could have won this game easily. And if they can take that next step, get to that growth, man, this league is in trouble. Right. And like tonight was kind of like, they put themselves in position to win this game. They overcame all of it. They their number one enemy tonight was themselves. They overcame that, put themselves in position to win this game. And then coughed it up at the very end. I mean, they're they're a minute and a half from a shootout. Even if even if they don't score on themselves and they don't score on on that, I mean, then you get to the ultimate coin flip of of a shootout where that's really where their their injuries are going to play a huge role. You know, where it's like Crosby, and then after that, it's it's what Crosby Gensel, and then you're like, oh boy, yeah, it gets pretty rough after where that. Where do we go? Where you feel like Colorado is six deep in that spot? Where you definitely feel like you have the advantage? I mean, they the way they lost the game was basically the only way they probably were going to lose this game once it got to that point. Once that power play started, yep, that was probably the only way they were going to lose it. Now. Anything could have happened in the final whatever whatever it would have been forty or fifty seconds of regulation or of uh, uh, even strength time in, in OT, but it still the way that they were playing, they were not giving up quality opportunities, and they and and Grubauer was locked in. You felt you felt great about it. You felt like they were in such a good position, and the way they lost was just such a stumbling through the forest and I tripped over a branch and fell down and shot my buddy in the butt kind of way. Yeah. I mean, what can you do but shrug your shoulders to the end of that game? That was, that was why once they lost, I I tweeted out and I said, I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Three or four months from now, we'll look back on this and be like, do you remember that game? And we'll kind of giggle. Because it was like, in the moment, it sucked. Especially because that's your first loss of the season where you're like, really? An own goal. And then, you know, whatever. But 
I mean, the a, kicker is like that's the fourth own goal of the season, right. and but, like which which is such a random thing. And like, do you remember? Do you remember Francois Beauchemin when he had that stretch where he could not get on the ice without a puck deflecting in off of him? Yep. And we were like mad at him, like there was something he could do about it. And it was just everything had gone so wrong that year that it felt like it was just a thing he was doing. <laughs> and I will and, and included in that was that home game. There was a home game against the Flames where Calvin Pickard was in net and they scored five goals that night. And the capper, the all time capper was the one that hit high off the glass behind him, bounced back, hit him in the numbers or on the nameplate yep. and went into his own net. Yeah, that's so that's, brutal. That's kind of what tonight felt like, where you were just like, okay, I'm going to play some Benny Hill music and go to sleep now. All right. Well, we'll end the second segment there. A couple of other oddities and ends. Uh, that we'll get to in the third segment here. But first, you guys know how supporting local business is in our blood. We're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company, and it may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects since 1972, and Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming. We've already had a taste of it here in Denver. You'll need a Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snowplows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snowplow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and it was honestly just kind of awesome. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of a wind turbine blades, which are honestly just kind of dope and we even witness machines that cut material that is used in bulletproof vests they claim that it even is able to block ak bullets which is like ridiculous if video games are anything to go by so i don't know it's pretty awesome to me and remember that denver rubber company Custom makes everything. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNBR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, or any number of other projects at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at, D- at <clears throat> drcfirst.com slash DNVR and tell them who sent you third and final segment of the dnvr avalanche podcast with nathan and aj we've talked about a lot of the messiness a lot of the sloppiness of this game one of the things that i thought was a positive to take was something that we've regularly seen from this Avs team is that fourth line calvert comes out early works well with belmar they get that early goal and give the Avs the lead obviously the game didn't go where the Avs wanted it from there but that fourth line did seem to be one of those that was able to overcome the smother nature of the pittsburgh system was it pittsburgh what i mean was it pittsburgh system like that i mean maybe it wasn't maybe it was just the horrible sloppiness of the Avs. but either way I just didn't feel like Pittsburgh was ever really playing very well, very well outside of having like good energy. I thought that they had jump early on 
but I don't I don't feel like at any point they were playing really well. Yeah, I I do think that's a fair argument. If you have this game pegged on the schedule, you're not expecting it to be a 3-2 smothering by Pittsburgh, certainly, especially given how many goals they've scored through the season thus far. It's just kind of the way the game ended up playing out. And, and I think Pittsburgh leaned into it well, but they didn't really do much other than force errors out of the Avs. Yeah, I, I just don't think the Avs played very well. I'm. This is why I go back to the Arizona game because I thought Arizona imposed their will very nicely, and did a very good job of disrupting what Colorado wanted to do. I thought Colorado disrupted what Colorado wanted to do tonight. I didn't think that Pittsburgh was particularly good defensively. Uh, I, I. Offensively, I thought that they were able to create okay chances but there wasn't a lot of traffic in front of Grubauer they didn't take his eyes away they didn't really make him work very hard you know I I I just don't I really didn't feel like the third period after they tied the game was a lot of fun I thought that was yes. two really good teams going after each other had that been had that been the entire game it would have been an awesome game. Like it would have been like, oh man, these two teams just got after. That was not the first two periods. The majority of the game just was not that way. It it felt like it felt like two minivans stuck in some Alabama mud. I don't know if I'd go quite that far because I do think there were quality chances on both sides. Groob played great shutting down most of the Pittsburgh opportunities, and it felt like the Avs on the opportunities they got. They fell to the wayside, and then immediately the inconsistency would come back in, and they would struggle to generate secondary ones. Yeah, I mean, Comfort missing the net on a shorthanded breakaway when it's one nothing is a game changing yeah, play. Right, exactly. The Jost led three on one where he shoots it into Matt Murray. Uh, another Jost odd man rush where. Uh, he ended up like tripping himself and flying into the boards awkwardly. Yep. He was, he was weird tonight. He was kind of odd. I thought that line was okay and good at times. And then blah at others. But, but Joe's just felt like a comedy of errors at times. And I still don't think he played poorly. It was just sort of a, sort of an awkward night. Yeah, an awkward night on the whole. Beyond just that line, I would say. You mentioned some of the misses. Donskoy had a great chance that he didn't hit the net on. Even in overtime, McCarr had a good chance on that power play that ended up missing the net wide and eventually led to a two-on-one the other way. And it just, things weren't quite clicking, you know, whether it was passes and skates or, or yeah. not to the tape or, or the shot flubbing off of a stick or whatever. The, the crispness wasn't there. That I mean, they definitely weren't sharp at yeah. any, at really, at any point. Even when things picked up and got got going, they weren't really sharp. 
This kind of leads into a question we got on YouTube the other day from Ladmans. He asks, I'm struggling to reconcile what I see as Avs' bad breakouts and blown defensive coverages with the Avs having the lowest goals against in the conference. Are they just getting lucky so far, or are they better than I think they are defensively? It's hard to say that they have been lucky given that they've scored, what, now four times into their own net? Yeah, right. It's, exactly. They've I mean, had it's, plenty it's, of their fair share. It's tough to say that they've been lucky on that end. You know, offensively, uh, you know, and obviously having you, they've had three goals taken off the board against them. So that helps. Of course, had those plays been called properly, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. That's true. In a perfect robot referee world, all of these calls happen before the puck is in the net, right? So Yeah, well and and the Washington one especially. My God. How do you yeah, miss that how do you miss that? Brutal. That one really was very, very clear from made, the beginning. Made even more confusing by the fact that the altitude broadcast was like working really hard to make it seem like there was something there. Yeah. And it was just, and it was like blatantly off. Right. And it was like, what are you looking at? This is so obvious. It was, it was wild. Anyway, um, I, I don't think that they've been particularly lucky. No, um, that uh, I think they've, I think that Grubauer has been good. And how much of it is leaning on him, though? I mean, a, a little, a little of it. Yeah, I just I don't think it's that much, though. I really don't think it's it's a lot of leaning on on Grubauer. It's it's one of those weird situations, right, where in some cases the best defense is a good offense. You give your forwards the puck, you let them possess it for the majority of the game and your defense doesn't have to do as much work. It doesn't. I mean, right. The the thing that I think is most encouraging about Colorado's defense and kind of the world that they're living in right now is that they're they're they've been very good at even strength. Yep. The five on five, as you said about the overtime, the three on three, they were super solid. Yeah. They are not honestly this was probably their worst game this game against pittsburgh at at even strength where they did struggle a bit yeah so and and i mean talk about getting unlucky i mean the crosby goal should have been two minutes on the ice yeah you can't you can't tell me that they don't ever call that because we watched them call it on the abs 400 times last year and then we also watched them miss that exact same call against the abs in the next period who who was it that leapt onto the bench? I saw the replay, but I couldn't hear who it was. Uh, I don't I don't remember, but it was like, dude. Yeah. What are the rules? Yeah. Can we abide by them? And like at that point in the game, they were down a linesman, so it was way more understandable. But they were full crew when the Crosby thing happened. And like, you can't tell me that guy was in the buffer zone. He was 40 feet from the bench. <laughs> like there is a five foot buffer, not a 40 foot buffer, especially when the guy who jumped on the ice has the puck now. Yep. Like no directly because affected the all play. of this yeah. is working my way towards saying, no, 
the abs are have not been overly lucky in that regard uh where where i think that they've been really bad is just the pk still yeah you know where they just they're you're never going to have like a high save percentage on the pk the teams that have one right now enjoy because it's not going to last, but the abs, they're just not good on it. They haven't been good on it. And even tonight, I thought that they were, I mean, Justin Schultz kept clearing the puck for them, but outside of that, they were giving up quality opportunities, quality, quality looks. And, that's that's my biggest area of concern on the entire team. I think even strength, they've been really good. Uh, the power play is always sort of going to be a work in progress. It came in, it came into tonight, tenth in the NHL. It went over three, kind of like the first one was the first power play was like a forty second power play or whatever. Uh, the second one was the only one that was the full power play, and then the third one was obviously the one where they gave up the game winner, uh, the shorthanded one which I think is the first shorty they've given up this year. So they've been pretty good in all these areas, except the PK four V five. Not good. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a tough situation. PEB 40% on face off so far through this year. Does that play into that PK a little bit? Uh, I'm sure it does a little bit. Yeah. I mean, more than anything, it's all puck possession. Yeah. So that dude's got to get it going. He was he was brought in specifically for this purpose. He absolutely has got to get the face-off thing going. I'm not asking that he be 56% or a league leader, but he's got to be 50. Yeah. You know, he's got to be 49 even. I mean, he it was it was an area where he had a career year last season in that regard. And it was fine. Well, you're like, okay, whatever, but he's got to get better, man. I'm sorry, but it just, it does. It's, it's not something that we've made a big deal about the last couple of years because they haven't had guys who were good at it. But when you bring guys in specifically so that they do this, so that they can do this job after six games, 40.3%. That's unacceptable. That's pretty I rough. I mean, Nathan McKinnon's yeah. at 43%. Winger Gabe Landeskog's at 44%. Yep. You know, Tyson Jost is, of course, getting crushed at 26.5%, but that's because he spent a lot of his time playing wing, and when he was at center last year, he had a broken finger and couldn't take faceoffs. So all <laughs> the experience he would have gotten that would help him move forward, because young guys are always bad at this. It takes them time to get better. You just have to get annihilated for a couple of years until you figure it out. Jost just doesn't have that experience. JT Comfer, I don't know what his excuse is. He's still bad too. 36%. That guy's taking a ton of face-offs. But should be better. Yeah. Those guys were bad at face-offs last year too. So la di da. Belmar was brought in to do this well, and he's done it worse than McKinnon, who is one of the worst in the NHL at it. <laughs> Not a great look, is it? I mean, Meanwhile, Kadri's up at 60%. Pebbles has been great in a lot of areas. He's been a really right, good addition right. 
in many, many, many areas. This is the one thing that he was brought in to do that he has completely dropped the ball on up to this point. One last curiosity before we get out of here. Zadorov scratched for tonight to put in Mark Barbario. What's the deal there? You knew that before the game started, no matter how this ended, but especially if it ended in a loss, people were going to th- to, to make an issue and say that, boy, sure could have used Zadorov when things got feisty. And my response would be, things got feisty in Washington. Sam Gerard nearly got killed by Alexander Ovechkin. Mikita Zadorov played in that game and nothing happened. Not only did Zadorov's presence not deter the hit, but it, there was no response to it when it did happen. The entire idea that Zadorov needs to play in physical games because he's physical is anecdotal at best. And there is nothing in the world to support that a guy like that helps in this version of the NHL. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, a completely different world. We do not live in that world anymore. We do not live in the world where if a guy's best skill is the ability to hit, that it is overly valuable on a game-to-game basis. If he is playing at his, if Zdorov was playing at his absolute peak most nights, and, you know, that that game against the Jets a couple years ago where he almost killed Shifley, that is a different story because he was blowing guys up and he completely changed the complexion of the game with his physicality. He does not do that more than five times a year. And you never know when those five times are going to happen. So maybe tonight was one of them. That's, I guess, an argument in that, in that, uh, in on that side of it. But otherwise, it's purely anecdotal, and it's one of those things. Look, Avs fans love Nikita Zadorov. They want to see him play. He likes to. He's a big, goofy guy, personality-wise. He's easy to root for. He's very smiley. He likes to blow guys up. He's a big fan of the big hit, and that's fine. I didn't understand scratching him. I don't get it. I. The only thing I can think is that Ryan Graves has been playing well. Ian Cole is back, and he's going to get. He's not getting healthy scratched, and that Bednar looks at his lineup and sees three very redundant players in Cole, Graves, and Zadorov, and Zadorov was the odd man out in this situation. And Graves will be the odd man out and Barbario will be the odd man out in other situations down the road. I don't think those other guys are going to be, I don't think the other four guys are really in danger of giving, getting a healthy scratch unless they absolutely just bottom out for an extended period of time. Otherwise, I don't think that's, it's going to happen. And it's, it's a reminder that this organization still views Nikita Zadorov as a third pairing defenseman. I tend to agree I don't necessarily agree with scratching him today. I I don't think that he has played poorly or any of that to to quote unquote deserve it. But I also did not think it was a. I I don't know what kind of in, not egregious. I don't yeah. know what kind of impact Zadorov would have made tonight. That I don't think Graves and Barbario played poorly. And those are the guys that he would have played for. Had one of those guys really had a bad night in my eyes, I would feel differently. I don't think either one of them played poorly. So I don't feel like it was a big deal. I don't think it'll last very long, uh, the, the the Zadorov healthy scratch thing. Maybe another game, maybe two games, but ultimately he'll be back in the lineup more often than not. Uh, and I just, I I think the fan base overrates him. 
And so when when he sits, then everybody kind of loses their mind a little bit. Well, we can kind of move that on the back burner as we get into our final thoughts here and, and deal with it if Zadorov continues to sit. I mean, but your thought on it? Disagree? Agree? I thought, I, should, mean, I, I thought he should have played. I think Graves got burned pretty badly on Pittsburgh's second oh, goal. Oh, I mean, he gets worked by Jake Gensel on that goal. And that's that's worse fears realized. The yep. foot speed against a skill player that just eats him up. But I thought outside of that, and, and absolutely that play obviously mattered uh, in a low-scoring game. But I thought outside of that, I actually really liked Ryan Graves tonight. I I to be honest, you're, I agree. Outside of that play, the last three games have been some of the best defensive hockey that Graves has played since he's been in the NHL, so it's hard to complain there. I don't get the allure of Barbario that much, even if you do say Graves, Cole, and Enzadorov are similar guys. If you're getting consistency out of your bottom three, that's fine. Yeah. But look, I mean, at the end of the day here, the Avs needed to produce more offense to win this game. That's the opinion that I'm I'm sitting at here. And I, and I say that McKinnon kept his point streak going. Rantanen kept his point streak going. The Avs kept his point streak going. The only person that unfortunately lost their point streak was Kale McCarr, who now no longer sets the record for defensemen. But the Avs are 5-0-1. If you told us the Avs would be 5-0-1 in September, uh, we'd have put all our money on black on that one. Yeah, I mean, that would have been an easy, great, we'll take that. Yep. And, I mean, we we said before this road trip, 3-3. Three and three. Yeah, right, exactly. They started this road trip 1-0-1. That puts them in a great situation. Even if they split in Florida, they moved to 2-1-1, and and then you win one of the last two games, and it's a successful road trip. Yeah. Straight up. I so, mean, getting, getting, boy, they win, they win the two this weekend and good road trip with a chance to be great. Great. Yep. Yep. Do you get, if you win four of the six and one of them's an OC loss, that's really, really good. If you win all five, that's silly. You're topping the central division and cruising at that. Point. I mean, at that point, I mean, we're obviously we're, we're out on this limb now, but at that point, you're seriously talking about building a playoff cushion because that's, that's so many points that get banked. Yeah. That it really, it really is. It seems like, well, it's too early for that. And it absolutely is. But if you look at it right now, the abs are atop the Western conference until uh, Edmonton finishes up their destruction of Philly tonight, and then Edmonton will move past them. But Colorado right now, same number of games played, has point advantages on Nashville and St. Louis, has has multiple game point advantages on on those guys on them and Winnipeg. And uh, Winnipeg has two more games played, so they've got a big gap on Winnipeg right now. And then, I mean, you get into the even the bottom three, you know, Chicago, Dallas, Minnesota, they're way ahead of those teams. So, you know, you're in the quest for home ice. Like, these games still matter in that. And obviously, it's too early to, like, get into it too seriously. But a major amount of success on this road trip changes it completely. Right. It is too early, but at the same time, 
The second wild card spot in the Central is four points behind the Avs. This is a two losses the Avs have to give already. Right. And if they extend that to three to four, that makes them extremely hard to catch. Right. And you're talking about trying to make up five games across five months. It sounds like, oh, well, that's very doable. But the Avs keep playing games too. Yep. And they play a lot of head-to-head games that could make that an even deeper hole. I mean, the Avs, the Avs could be talking about burying a Central Division team in December if they continue to obviously win the majority of their games on a on an extreme tilt. Yeah. Like I mean if if they dumpster Dallas a couple of times, they're already out right. of it. And right? I mean like so. we you remember two years ago they went to the postseason largely on the back of a ten game winning streak. Yep. Well if those ten games happen to come at the beginning of the season or a you know a ten game streak where they don't lose in regulation you know, something like that. Like it just changes the math in your favor so much. And for a great example of that, go back and look at the 2009, 2010 avalanche who had two great months and then were extremely mediocre and made the postseason with relative ease. Off of that. Yep. So this, these points are big. Like what we're, what we're saying is that they have an opportunity. Now they've had such a great start at 5-0-1 that they could put themselves into an unbelievably envious position should they continue to get results on this road trip. Boom. We'll end it there. That's a good place to end. Obviously, don't want the Avs to lose ever, but it was inevitable, and they still have an opportunity for a lot of success here in the early part of the season. But as always, thank you for listening. If they do pull things out of this road trip, I think it's safe to say it would be game-changing. So it's time to acknowledge StravaCraft Coffee. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. Basically, you name it. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we really could not recommend it more to our listeners. As Strava craft says drink deeply live fully check it out for yourself today and you can get 20 percent off when you use code dnvr20 at checkout and you'll get it shipped straight to your door that's going to do it for us you will hear from us again tomorrow ah mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.